Well, hello, Gregory House North. I'm so excited you're here with us. Um, what, so Catherine was setting us up in terms of the biblical foundations of what you know children teach us and then how we go on to catechize. And so then I'm taking it from there. Really, these sessions are connected, um, but taking it from there and going from, okay, so now where are children in the church and what is their place? in the church and then from that going more practical to how do you actually build a children's ministry um which is something that is always one of the first ministries to get going in any kind of church plant but also um it's just important for everyone even if you're in a different area of ministry to kind of understand the importance of children in the church and what a good children's ministry looks like <laughs> in that church so um I'm going to start. Um, yeah, so we know the value that Jesus put on children. Um, we know that he honored them. And Catherine, again, she covered much of this with some of those early scriptures she had. But he honored them, he embraced them, and he included them. And I think he gave us such a model. And then we have to tr do the work to transfer it to what it means to be having children in the church and that's where things can get tricky and you deal with the realities of children um, and how they can be difficult to include in the church so where is a child's place in the church is why I want to start answering um, and I think the important part with a lot of this is to know where you're starting from and so you don't want to start with well we have children in the church so what should we do with them um, you really want to start, okay, no, where is their place in this church and how do we make a place for them in this church? Not just respond and react to the fact that they exist here <laughs> um, and that they're just tag-alongs to their parents in some ways, right? Um, I was just thinking about we're having baby number four, as you guys here know, and um, up in Minnesota, if I sound out of breath at some point, it's because this baby is pushing my diaphragm, <laughs> but baby number four in we, this baby is, we have to make a space for him in our house in a way that we haven't had to with um, our last baby. So we're moving rooms around, we're figuring out who can sleep with who, we're painting colors, we're, now we need two cribs because the older one is, is still in a crib and so we're getting another crib and we're just doing all these things to make this place for this baby um, so that he is coming into something that's prepared for him. Um, and I think about that in our church. Um, and I think even when you walk into a church, you can tell fairly quickly what they view, even though they might not say it explicitly, of like where children's places. So if you think of like where often children's ministries end up, like any ideas if you've been in churches before where you see a children's ministry room? of churches before. Some of that is, of course, due to, like, valid reasons that there was only one space for sanctuary. But um, often children are not in the service at all. Like, you drop them off, you pick them up, and then a family goes right home. And then at some magical point in high school or even college, we just expect children to, like, fully integrate into the big service after they've been kind of tucked away for the first 12 years of their life, right? So 
um, you see churches implying that children aren't kind of full participants. They're like cordoned off participants over there. Um, also, you've seen a lot of churches that if a baby starts crying in the service, like the parents exit in complete shame and you know, they, they get out of there as fast as they can. And um, like there's no kind of grace there for the reality of children in a service, which is crying and loud and kind of distracting. And like Catherine mentioned, it can be embarrassing <laughs> because your children are hiding under seats. Um, and yet, how do we as a church make space for that? Because Jesus so clearly wants us to honor and include children. Um, and so thinking about that, where do we start as Anglicans um, with children in ministry? And we have a unique gift along with other traditions, but we start in baptism. They are brought into the church way before they're in an official children's ministry program. Um, and everything that we try to build on can build out of that. So I included on the handout just a few um, pieces of the baptismal liturgy. And I wanted to read those together um, just to refresh you. It's been a while since we've gotten to have baptisms in our holy day services. So um, one of the first things that's asked after the parents present a child is, of the congregation, the celebrant turns and says, will you, so speaking to the whole congregation, who witness these vows, do all in your power and support these persons in their life in Christ? Um, which always is met with a robust, we will. Um, this closing prayer here is really summarizing what has already just happened in baptism, that um, thank you that by water, Holy Spirit, you bestowed upon these your servants the forgiveness of sins, received them as your own children by adoption, made them members of the Holy Church, and raised them to the new life of grace. And sustain them, O Lord, in your Holy Spirit, that they may enjoy everlasting salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. And, and then after that prayer, this is the end that we all say together affirming what the celebrant has just prayed and done, um, that we receive you into the fellowship of Christ, confess the faith of Christ crucified, proclaim his resurrection, and share with us in the royal priesthood of all of his people. And so by starting in baptism, we can see that they are full members of the church. Um, and not everyone will choose to baptize their children, right? But in terms of our perspective as ministry leaders, as pastors, children are full members as they enter in through baptism. And that completely changes how you view what children should be doing in the church, what they're capable of doing in the church. Um, we talk about how they're received into the fellowship of the church. So that means full participation geared towards their abilities, right? We don't ask them to do more than they're capable of, but that's why you see a one-year-old slowly trying to eat, you know, the sacrament and <laughs> trying to eat the bread and sometimes spitting it out and then the parent trying to, like, put it back in their mouth. And it can seem like, oh, are they really, you know, do they cognitively understand what they're doing when they're taking the body of Christ? No, they're excited that they are eating this. But yet we know that they have a relationship with the Lord. We believe that they can have this relationship with the Lord, that they were given to it 
They didn't earn it in their baptism. They were given it to them in their baptism. Um, and so they have full participation in the sacraments, holy days. Um, as they get older, serving on teams, I think our church plants do a great job of including children on their usher teams and all parts of life of the church that children can participate in there too. Um, and then that's why we also have a robust children's ministry. <laughs> it's because we want them to be full participants. Um, and that's why we actually care so much about crafting children's ministry that ministers to children where they're at because they're full members of the church, not because we need to like babysit them while the adults listen to the sermon. So, um, that perspective really changes how you do children's ministry. Also, we see in here really clearly a commitment to teach children. We, we know that they are not um, baptized and then therefore need no further instruction. They still need to be taught, catechized, and hopefully brought to confirmation um, and continuing to grow where they take more and more ownership of their faith. And so um, we have that commitment to teach children they're included in the priesthood of all people. That gets back to what I was saying about full participation. Um, but it also, something I've often told our children's ministry team is every child has a ministry that they provide to others. Um, I've often seen the ministry a baby will do of uniting families that have had in the past um, fighting factions within the family or just strained relationships. And that child comes in and ministers what's actually important and a kind of a unifying point for that family. Um, and that child has done work in the hearts of those adults who are caring for it. Um, other children have other ministries. It's just unique to see, look in a nursery room and they all have their own thing going on already. They all have their own personality and how they interact with the world. and. Um, it's been unique even to see my own children, which of them have had really clear ministries of joy um, and which have had really clear ministries of inclusiveness to other people already. You just start to see these things build. Um, and so that's part of being in the priesthood of all people. Um, and then, of course, our vow to support our families and our children. Um, I'm not sure if Catherine mentioned this, but when we take that vow in the baptismal service, everyone in the church is taking that vow, not just parents or other people who might naturally be involved in helping with children. Um, and as we think about children in the church, we think about how we need them and about how every person needs to be engaged with children in the church, um, even if they don't have children. Uh, it doesn't mean that everyone has to serve in children's ministry every single week. Um, not everyone is called to nor particularly gifted in that area. Um, and yeah, everyone needs to be open and receptive and engaging with children um, in the church. Again, because they're not being put over to the side. Um, and so one example of this is our beloved Ruth Mudge, who is single. She does not have her own children. And yet, for years and years and years, she's been a shepherd in our children's ministry and usually had a group of third, fourth, or fifth grade girls. She's actually had a bunch of different ages, but, and she's particularly gifted in cello. So she would 
run and do the opening and then come back here and be with the children and then also participate in their family lives, you know, as parents invite her in and then then she'd run back and like go finish up the worship. I mean, she clearly made it such a priority to be involved with children and I think um, that's important for us to just keep our eyes open that the people in our church are involved uh, with kids, no matter what their personal biological family situation is. Um, okay. Any, any questions on that part? It's like the foundation piece of where children are. Even if you just remember children as full members of the church, that's, <laughs> that's great. That's the main thing we're hitting home here. But um, any questions? Great. Um, I know it's a smaller group, too. So I feel like if there's chance for dialogue and questions throughout you can just raise your hand we can go go there we don't have to hold it any questions all to the end um okay so that's where we're starting creating and leading a children's mystery um like i mentioned before this process i'm gonna walk us through actually applies to lots of ministries um but I'll give a lot of examples from children and some of the things that are unique to children's ministry. Um, so I was saying, sharing earlier, I was the children's pastor, and when I came in, we had a few big things we had to shift. So we had to go from mobile church to here, which included trying to design a room like this, which was not in my <laughs> wheelhouse, was not in my experience. Um, where, so we were coming, moving spaces. We um, also, had had an interim pastor and the children's ministry had just because of lots of reasons had gotten a lot smaller um, and there wasn't kind of a clear guiding vision or purpose of the children's ministry at that time um, and so then I had to come up with okay so how do we kind of restart a children's ministry and build it from there um, I know that's not the situation that everyone goes into. Some people come into a situation where there's a vibrant and robust children's ministry and then they get to build and expand and deepen it in whole new ways. Um, I do think, particularly if you're called to go out into um, church planting work, commissioning work, that there is a reality of starting something new and small, and so like having that ability to do that. Um, but I want to start with just my word. <laughs> I give every children's pastor I talk with is don't start with a curriculum. So that's the temptation. It's a temptation for youth ministry to some extent. Instead of starting with a curriculum, you might start with whatever teaching series you're gonna do. But they focus all their energy on that time of the curriculum, as if that's the ministry, when it's not. It's a resource to the ministry. Um, then they often wonder why they have kind of a disengaged children's ministry that feels really separate from the rest of the church. It's because they've put all their eggs in the curriculum basket and decided that's our ministry, when that's just a piece of the ministry. So um, we'll kind of get down to that part later, but um, yeah, you can't make decisions on curriculum until you get the most foundational pieces first. So the first piece I want to mention is to start with vision. The, and there's a few pieces. Did, did Bishop Stewart give his creating a vision talk? Okay. Um, 
and part of this is important to realize when you're leading any ministry that's you're not the rector <laughs> which is most ministries right where you're coming in under already a lead vision um, person and yet you still are responsible with leading a ministry and creating vision for that and so um, how to start with vision in that context where you're not the first chair but you're a, a second chair and yet still responsible for a lot of leadership um, so first start with context um, this is important to realize even if you walk in and children's ministry needs to be developed or youth ministry or small groups ministry needs to be developed there's still lots there even if the end ministry is not there yet um, and you don't want to walk in and assume that there's nothing built up yet it might just not be named or it might not be shaped um, or finished so <laughs> example of this is I can give for my own example um, when I came in and the children's ministry was in a in a hard spot and dwindling and a lot of kids weren't coming to it anymore um, I just started making coffee after coffee after coffee meeting with parents and with volunteers um, and key families and just listening to what they wanted what they were hoping for what was important to them I sent out a survey you know to gauge how they ranked different things in terms of the to their family and um, I just start to think like okay what is their value because they are the primary disciples of their children um, and hear from them and kind of start to compile what was going on and what was the situation we were in um, also you need to realize what context you're in terms of are you a large church are you a small church are you a, a church plant certain things work in some context that would never work in a different context so when I started we were very much small church mindset but we already had 800 people as a church so we weren't a small church anymore but we had a small church children's ministry and that was some of the reason why things weren't uh, going very well but if uh, you're a church plant you try to create a large church children's ministry that doesn't work well either <laughs> so you have to know what it is you have um, do you have the same families all the time? Do you have a lot of visitors? You know, where, who's coming into your ministry? Um, the next piece would be to research. So connect with other children's pastors. I think I met with at least 10 different pastors in the area. Um, some Anglican, some not. Um, some more connected to like the size of our church. And just tried to see what they were doing why they made those decisions um, again like starting to build out what could be for this ministry and I read a few books but don't read too many books because it's overwhelming so. <laughs> um, you're not going to read your way into a ministry um, okay and then next is really important to connect your vision to the church vision um, so at the time our vision was building sanctuary of transformation um, it's not that anymore and I knew for our children it had to be connected to that transforming word too because if it's not if your visions aren't connected the children's ministry will drift further and further apart from the main lifeblood and vision of the church um, and it will just feel 
very different to the point where even children can sense that. They can sense they're not really part of the whole thing. Um, and then lastly, as you're working to create a vision um, for a ministry, having prayer and discernment. You should be taking prayer days. <laughs> you should not just be trying to like write this up on a whiteboard and work and work and work and work at it until you just have this perfect vision statement, you know, like some kind of corporation. Um, you just need to be in prayer and in scripture, informed by the other voices you've already brought in to that conversation. So you're not starting from nothing. Um, and so I remember really clearly with the children's ministry for, for Res, um, I was in this little library of this Jesuit retreat center and the passage that came to my mind was Acts 2. And I'm like, oh, okay. I'm like, that's a pretty common, you know, church passage. Um, this was before we had developed the 5S and 5M things. So in some ways it was great because the children's ministry has connected really well into the new version of our vision. But um, it just came to me, you know, the passage 42 through 43 there. They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And I knew that awe that came upon every soul, like that is what I wanted for our children to experience, an awe of the Lord, um, a closeness of, through the Lord. Um, and I knew that it was pretty clear um, that those components, the four components of apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers, needed to be within our children's Sunday experience. Um, to the breaking of bread, we already celebrate the Eucharist every Sunday, and we made a commitment to have our children in there every Sunday for the Eucharist. And so in that way, you don't have to do everything within the children's ministry. Um, it can happen in the rest of church, too. Um, and that's why we've kept with that commitment amongst many objections at times. Because, and I understand, parents are tired. <laughs> I'm tired as a parent. Sometimes I would love to just sit there for a little while and receive Eucharist and have my kids not be, like, pushing each other. And then I'm trying to tell them, like, hold their hands out. And, you know, it's... It can be difficult to manage, and yet, I've also seen how important that piece is to them. Even my four-year-old, um, you know, during COVID, we haven't been able to receive the wine. Um, or in his case, he would drink the little non-alcoholic wine juice cup, and um, the other day, he's like, Mommy, I miss the juice. When are we having the juice again? And I'm like, you know, buddy, I know it's hard. Like, he felt this loss, and I think like we've all felt a loss because Eucharist, well, we're so thankful to be taking it in person, still feels like we're missing a little bit of it, you know? Um, but it was interesting, since he's been in the service for four years, since he was born, he recognizes that part of the act of celebrating Eucharist. Um, and so just another word on our children are actually quite sacramental, how they're made they're made to be in matter um and they notice when it's different okay so that was a little bit of a rabbit trail but having those four pieces within their 
uh, ministry experience. I'll get to how we actually did that a little bit later, but um, okay, so then we created the vision statement coming out of that of growing in, this is just an example, your vision statement will be different, um, but growing in relationship with Jesus and his church and that, um, and I think it, then we added in growing in a transforming relationship with Jesus and his church actually, uh, to more mirror what um, Resurrection's overall uh, vision is. But the and his church, we knew that's so poor to our identity as Anglicans, as you know, people who love church <laughs> and all of its manifestations. So it was really important for us to include that, that it's not only about a child's personal relationship with Jesus, although that is so important, it has to be developed and taught to, um, but that we also want them to have this relationship with his church. The next piece, so you have your vision, that you've, and that actually can take months to get to something like that and to do the work of that. Just so you know, I, we did a very similar process with Res Youth to create a vision with Res Youth before actually Will came in as our youth pastor. Um, going through those same context research, connect the vision, prayer and discernment steps, um, and a similar process with creating Res Groups. So it does, apply to, to other ministries um, when you find yourself in other ministries. I could easily see a pastoral care ministry going through like a same process of creating a vision for what pastoral care looks like at a particular time. Um, okay, so then we established guiding principles informed out of the vision, informed out of scripture. Um, and again, I want to make sure, I'm giving a lot of examples from Res. Obviously, that's my lived experience. Other places will have different examples and different guiding principles. So that is completely fine. <laughs> um, but we determined that these things were core and they were gonna guide whatever kind of choices we made with ministry. So um, we talked about how children's faith is formed through relationship um, and that all of the ministry, whether it's the teaching, the singing, the activities, aims to develop that relationship with Christ with their peers, with their shepherds, which is what we still call, right, our adult leaders, um, our adult guides. Um, and so that key part is relationship. Um, and then the other piece that comes directly from the baptism is that whether they're 10 months or 10 years old, children can encounter Jesus. And even if, like, it's not, spiritual development capacity is not solely based on cognitive capacity. And the implications of that are huge. It means that your two-year-old can experience prayer time, like what Catherine was saying, and actually receive ministry there. Um, it means that there are so many reasons to have a vibrant special needs ministry. Because even if the cognitive, you know, even if someone who has maybe severe developmental disability, and they can't ever recite the Nicene Creed, that's beyond what they'd be able to do. But there's no way a limitation on their ability to connect with God or to have a relationship with God. Um, and that's why we want to make sure that we do our very best to make a place that's inclusive for special needs children. And that is hard. <laughs> and it's really hard to do it in a way that serves everyone. Um, and yet it's also really important. So 
um, we honor children by treating Sunday as a sacred experience um, and that they're full participants. Um, and so we really try to bring them up into the scripture, up into the story and discussion, and not bring things down to them and always try to simplify or always try to make it a game. Games have their place, of course, but we know that they can come up into the experience. And that's the same reason we keep them in church for a third of it, right, is that we know they can experience that. Um, and lastly, another guiding principle we came up with, too, is just that both adults and children are listening to the Holy Spirit in worship. Um, so be willing to adapt as the Spirit leads. And when you're in serving in children's ministry, you're really worshiping with them, not at them or for them, like in a performance kind of way. Um, and so allow yourself just to worship with the children. And sometimes that goes smoother than other times. <laughs> I'm looking at Matt as I'm thinking about, I'm sure, some of the experience you've had in Res Kids. And some Sundays are better than others yeah. in terms of how much you can see that they're getting. Um, Sometimes none of them do the hand motions. <laughs> right. I know. All of our carefully laid out hand motions that they don't do. Um, yeah. And I've experienced with my own, with Wesley, who's seven and a half. Um, you know, like he'll come back from rest kids. Like, oh, what was the story about? Or what did you learn about? And he's like, oh, it was fine, nothing. <laughs> and I'm like... And that, particularly as someone who like helps lead and create the children's ministry, stings. But um, my own child is like, yeah, whatever, you know. And then like later in the afternoon, he'll just be randomly bringing up something from that story. And trying, I'm trying to think of a recent example, but you know, like and definitely things with Samson have come up before. But also like Samuel being called and like, how do you think he like really heard God? Like little things will come up, and I'm like, oh. So is that what you were learning in Res Kids, you know, today? And he's like, yeah, that's what the story was about. Like, obviously, Mom, you know? <laughs> and it's so um, interesting to see how they process things. And just because he wasn't as emotionally and, you know, engaged as I wanted him to be, doesn't mean he actually wasn't really quite engaged in that time. Um, so there's hope, even when your children don't tell you anything or show that they actually learned anything. <laughs> um, okay, so building out. So if you have, like we know the foundation where the children's place as full members in the church is, we go through the work of creating vision and getting principles, and now you're like, kind of finally at the place of actually building a children's ministry. Um, or in some cases, revamping children's ministry or you know it's not like you're building it totally from scratch like I was saying but um so let's see I'm gonna make sure I don't skip over okay um so the one part is just building a leadership team um getting parents and volunteers and pastoral staff engaged communicating the vision getting buy-in um having leaders take key parts I think sometimes in ministry we want to try to just do it all ourselves so that it gets done in the way that we see it um, and that's where vision can just stop like you have this vision and that's great but it's not going to actually expand and live in other people's minds and hearts if you can't get them to like 
side view. So in any ministry, bring other people in um, and don't try to just do it all yourself so you can get done the right way. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, a question related to that is um, how did you personally deal with, um, so you had the situation where you had to build up the children's ministry mm -hmm. and you need uh, adult leaders to come alongside you in volunteering. Um, how do you, um, I'm not quite sure how to word this, but like, how do you exercise uh, the discernment and being like selective with who you, who you choose? And have you ever been in a situation where you've chosen someone that's really not a good fit for them, but they don't see it that way? And, yes, yeah. yes, yeah. So Matt's question is, how, how do you set kind of the expectations and get the right team members involved, but then also how do you deal with the team member that really shouldn't be maybe in the role that they're in? Um, so I think for any ministry, just creating really clear and high expectations. And I think for a lot of, especially in children's ministry, um, you can get into this place of, we just need people to help. We just need people to serve. Let's just fill these rooms and make sure we meet our numbers so we're all like according to the safety rules, which is safety rules are important. Um, but you know, like, let's get three bodies in the room and we'll be good to go. And you can get there in a place of like desperation. Because there are challenges of getting enough people. I think it's a lot, people get there a lot easier to that kind of bad place when they don't have a vision to start with. Because then like all you're inviting someone into is a time commitment and a task to do. And you need to be inviting them into a vision to do. Um, a vision that they are developing these key relationships that will impact a child's faith for the rest of their life is much more <laughs> true and inspiring than we really need another person in the threes room because these threes are crazy. So could you just come on, maybe just serve once a month or, you know, and then you get in this like begging position, right? And that will always like, the lower the bar is, the lower, um, I don't want to say quality of people. I don't want to say that, but you like <laughs> the lower their expectation is of it, right? Yeah. And the lower they view the work they're doing. Because often, I think about this a lot, like when you're leading a ministry, you are the one who thinks about it all the time. Your volunteers, like as much as they love the ministry, they're not gonna think about it all the time because they have their own jobs and their families and their own life. So you need to be able to like impart your heart and vision to them um, in regular intervals so they can keep kind of seen it how you've really see it. Um, and the piece, Matt, about <laughs> what to do with someone who's like, wants to do chumps ministry, let's say, and it's really not a great fit, but they don't necessarily see that. Um, I have had that. I've especially in, yeah, I have had that. Um, <laughs> that, at first, if you build the high expectations, which I'll get to in a little bit of regular serving and the role that they're fulfilling, and um, some of that kind of weeds out some of that. But then there's other times where I just had to have a sit-down conversation with a team member and say, like, you know, you're the third, let's say, you're the third grade shepherd, and how do you feel like it's going? 
and this is what I've noticed, and like have a few really concrete things. So it doesn't feel personal, you know. It's um, it's not that they're a bad volunteer. They're just like not in the right spot. But I have some really concrete things to talk through with them, or else it can feel like a kind of attack. Um, and then I always try to have something to redirect them to. Like I see. I don't see some of the qualities in you that are needed for this third grade shepherd role. But I do see these other things. And like, would you want to be, you know, maybe they would be better actually as a storyteller who doesn't have like the same level of connection one-on-one with the kids because they're not that good at interacting with children (laughs) Um, in that way. Or maybe they actually like are really bad in a twos room because they want those two-year-olds to be fourth graders. Well, maybe they should just work with fourth graders. Like, and the same thing happens in youth group. Like, sometimes a junior high person is expecting a sixth grader to be a senior, and therefore he's or she is always frustrated <laughs> and never really that happy with how the night goes, right? Well, maybe they should just be a 12th grade worker. Like, you know, that could be the solution. Um, and I found that those conversations usually end pretty well. And at, and at times, someone just decides to, like, not be in the ministry, but as the leader of the ministry, as much as you love your team members, your primary commitment is to those children, too. And so there is a moment where you have to get kind of, you know, fierce and protective <laughs> of, of the kids and make sure that, like, they're getting what they need, even if it is a hard conversation. So, thanks, Matt. Um, okay, and then... I've talked about relationships some. Um, I think the thing that's so important to understand, especially with young children, is that they need consistent relationships to engage in worship and learning. Like, just where they are developmentally, they are concrete beings. (laughs) They are not yet able to do some of the more abstract um, connection. They're also very emotional beings. So, with my son Wesley, sometimes, He's up, sometimes he's down. But those consistent relationships with shepherds and peers help draw him into the ministry that's going on. Um, So that's one reason that we, um, like consistency has been so important. Um, Oftentimes the temptation, like I was saying, is just to try to get people in the room to serve. Um, And then you end up with kids not knowing who their shepherds are, Shepherds not knowing who their kids are. Um, and you think about, like, you would never let an adult small group leader just, like, have some weeks there and some weeks not, and, like, a different adult small group leader show up all the time. Like, you, you just don't expect that for an adult small group. And I think we can have the same high expectation of our people who lead our children in small groups. Um, and COVID has made it that very difficult. But <laughs> that's a little different story. I think I'm speaking more to the general goal um, so having consistency, so we had our, we have our shepherds commit to the whole year, and that single-handedly was the biggest change that was made, that created growth in the ministries, number-wise, but also depth-wise, um, because all of a sudden a kid will open up and pray about something that's hard for them, because they know this person. Um, and it takes kids a while to know someone when they only get to see them one hour a week. Um, and so I, I cannot emphasize that enough. Um, and note for churches with one service, 
you can still accomplish consistency. Um, you can do two rotating teams um, that serve, because you do, of course, want your adults who are serving to be able to go to church. Um, you, you don't want your adult shepherds to not be in church for a year. Um, that would be detrimental to them. Um, and so having two or three rotating teams and you have small enough rooms that it's not really disruptive, that also works for smaller churches with one service. Whereas with here at Res, we've been able to say serve at a service, go to a service. So, um, Okay, another important piece is to have clear leadership in your rooms. Um, each room needs a main leader and then divide pieces amongst team members. That's true for any ministry. Make sure you know, make sure your leaders know that they are leaders and that you need them. Um, and then peer relationships are really important for our children too. So make appropriate age groups. You know, don't have all your zero through five in one room. Um, split them up into two rooms, like have them or have second and third graders together, fourth and fifth graders together, facilitate appropriate age relationships uh, where they can discuss and don't feel like they're always either not understanding something because it's too above their heads or having to get interrupted by little kids all the time. Um, and, and then foster friendships. That's why we create a midweek ministry at Res. Um, other churches have it, if they have smaller rooms, they can create friendships even on Sunday. We have found that it can be difficult. Like if, if we're not in the season of COVID and Resurrection has 50, 60 elementary kids in a room on, during the 8.30 service, then it's hard to foster deeper friendships with that many kids. But, so that's why we create midweek, which I won't go into. But um, Okay, so that's kind of... All the relationships building piece of it, which obviously you can tell I think is the most important part. Um, I do want to speak about curriculum a little bit if you are in the place of choosing a curriculum at times. Um, first off, just please focus on scripture. And I think it's so obvious that that's what we'd want, right? And yet it is very difficult to find children's curriculum that is focused on scripture. Um, I think youth ministries, they have, because they're teaching older, more cognitively, you know, intellectually advanced children, um, that's not as much of a challenge with a lot of the materials for youth ministries, but for children's ministry, there are, uh, let's see, how many traps have I thought of? Four traps, at least, <laughs> with curriculum. Um, and they don't focus on scripture, so one, and that's what the kids need, right? Like they need scripture given to them, just like adults do. And you notice if you go to a church where the sermons aren't really based on scripture, it's more like the pastor's musings on a topic and he maybe connects in a verse. And like how little that feeds you after a while. It's the same with children. Um, so the first thing is the moral trap. Way too many curriculums focus on teaching children a moral like this week we're learning about how to be nice or this week we're learning about how to share and you know that uh, the boy who shared his loaves and fishes like that's a good example right so and they, which is not really the whole point of that but like they just kind of tag in something obscure and unrelated because they're really trying to teach children morals which children instinctively kind of 
like react against like why are you trying to teach me that when they don't have a reason for it but um what they should be focusing on is the story of jesus and what jesus work is doing in feeding the five thousand and then application can come out of that but not starting with just teaching our kids in morals that's not what they need to actually connect with the lord they need scripture um and a lot of curriculums are like that. So present the gospel in its, you know, make it appropriate for children, but present the gospel to kids in children's ministry. Um, another way is people can just try to do way too much didactic teaching and treat um, children's ministry like school instead of like worship. Um, and so a lot of front of the room teaching and it's, it's hard to bring in newcomers into that situation, and it's hard for kids to really connect <laughs> to that after a while, because church is unique. We don't need to be school day six. You know, they already had school five days. Um, we don't need to recreate school for them. Um, there's also a temptation to be really busy in children's ministry. Um, I have been guilty of this in leading children's <laughs> ministries. Of like. Let's just give them a lot of activities and keep them occupied so they don't get too crazy, you know. Um, and there's a place for activities, but you can drive yourself and your team crazy if you just try to always have the children doing little busy work kind of stuff. Um, and then another piece just to watch out for too, a lot of curriculums um, and children's ministries will try to be fun all the time. Like fun, 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 flashy, flashy, flashy and entertain the children. And again, it's an attempt to control their behavior by trying to keep them entertained um, and quiet. And so, and then I'm not saying that there's no place for technology or video in children's ministry. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but um, it is, there's no, like, there's no place for children to reflect and to engage and to talk with each other if they're always being entertained in some fashion. Um, and so I would just caution you as you look at curriculums and teachings to be on the lookout for those things and say, does this curriculum present the gospel and give children space to engage with it? Um, and if it does, then it all will fall into place after that. Um, I feel like a lot of the principles you're teaching us apply to just a lot of different contexts. Like I'm thinking about uh, the um, confirmation this pressure of like I need to make it transformative rather than yeah you know trying to uh, like, it doesn't have to be so flashy and complex and uh, encouraging good good well and I think it can be it, but it's so hard for a leader like it takes such an internal strength because as a leader if you're teaching and you feel like oh this isn't flashy or exciting enough and then they're not responding back to you in a way that feels like they're tracking in the moment it can be really discouraging because you put in a lot of work <laughs> and and I think to recognize that and to pray about that of like Lord I can give what I can to this ministry but even like Catherine was teaching earlier like I can't make them grow in this like I can't do the work of the Holy Spirit um, that is something actually we would like regularly kind of pray into in our pre-ministry circle time for leaders 
helping us, like, we want to have eyes for what the Lord's doing and what the Spirit's doing, but also not put that pressure on ourselves of we have to make something happen, you know. Um, yeah. Um, one other, well, not one other, another piece. <laughs> there is so much, and I try not to go into, like, way too much detail because there's a lot with children, um, but... Another really important thing is just to identify and build on the gifts of your church. And I want to make sure it's really clear that each church children ministry would look could look very different, even having the same kind of core belief and value of children in the church. What they do could look really different. Um, but what does your church uniquely have to offer? Don't try to make your church offer something it does not have, um, because that would be really hard and not feel very natural so um when I was creating the elementary we decided to just create the own our own elementary curriculum because after looking at literally hundreds of curriculums I felt like none of them were very good so that's not true for all of them there are some good curriculums but for our context nothing was working so I was thinking like we had we'd figured out when they came in what they were going to do we figured out how to do worship um bring different worship leaders who normally are in the sanctuary into the children's ministry um, and then we we had figured out our shepherd small groups and how that was going to be a combination of discussion and prayer and the little ones would also have some activity into it and so for our elementary it felt like we had figured it out except like how are we going to present the gospel like how are we going to teach on scripture was this piece that I just, like I knew it had to be scripture. I had ideas for the whole scope of it, but I didn't know like how to do it yet. And I remember talking, I went over to Catherine's, their front porch and we were talking and she like had this idea of like, what about storytellers? Because the church, this church, Resurrection has so many theatrically gifted people. You know, like we think of vigil that we do every year and it's amazing and I was like oh yeah like I never would have thought that because I am so not a theatrical person that <laughs> to, to make me do parts of that would have been terrible really bad theater but um, that was a really good example of using what we had as a church we have all these different people who can creatively tell a story in engaging ways and each storyteller did it a little differently according to their gifts. Some were more visual and dramatic and some were more costumes and engaging the kids more in the story um, like as participants. But but then I always, when I talk with other children's pastors and they ask me like, what, how do you teach your elementary kids? And I tell them and then I immediately say like, don't do that if you, can't, if you don't have that in your church. Um, don't try to cut and paste from another church because it won't work. Um, and Res pretty uniquely has a lot of wonderful, dramatic people. Um, but other churches would choose to do something that is more like teaching, and that'd be completely fine. Or like, is your church really strong in the music or the arts or sports? Resurrection does not have as many sports people <laughs> as some other churches might. Um, and so we don't do a lot with sports. Um, yeah, and then... Also, one thing that we all have as Anglican churches, right, is the gift of liturgy. And the gift of children 
can come into liturgy because it, it helps them, just like it helps our adults, no matter how they're feeling, it engages them in the work of worship. And it, it tells them what to do, right? I mean, they learn the confession, they learn the creed, they learn different responses of responding to the scripture being read. Um, and Kevin Sheehaner, Sean's pastor right now, he has incorporated liturgy into, and I, again, in COVID it's different, but he's incorporated liturgy into the children's ministry in a way that I never incorporated in the same way because Kevin was just really good at getting where to put it and what to do and what not to do. And um, so just giving that gift of liturgy to our children is such an amazing gift. Um, and now Wesley can lead us in the confession prayer at home, you know, because he knows it so well. Um, it's really exciting. Um, okay. Talked a little bit about building teams, Matt, in response to your question. Just making sure you have the right teams all the time. Like your host leaders, your shepherd, your worship. One thing with children's ministries, sometimes people don't want to serve in children's ministry because they think they're going to have to do everything because that's been their experience in other children's ministries. So just make sure you give your team members, whether this is children's ministry or another ministry, really clear expectations of what they do and what they don't have to do. Um, and that helps invite them into a place to use their gifts. Um, so my husband Ryan used to be a shepherd before we had children and he loved it. Like he loved being with the third graders and seeing them learn and guiding those conversations. And then we had kids and I was still working on Sundays too and so he couldn't do that anymore. Um, and now, so now he does the worship every so often, which is like a good use of what he can do because he has a really clear expectation. He doesn't have to come in and do everything. So, um, yeah, I think that's important with no matter what age level. Um, and lastly, I just want to, this topic could be a whole nother thing, but partner with your families. Um, I think that gets to the temptation that we can have to just do the ministry on our own. Um, and a realization that like we are an important but small piece of this child's catechesis and development. Their families are the primary disciples, which at Res, I think we give a very clear vision for that. Um, and I think we can always grow in how to partner with our families, because it's overwhelming for parents to figure out how to disciple their children. And so as a children's ministry leader, as a youth ministry leader, how can you partner with parents, um, pastoring parents, giving support for new parents? Something that was always my favorite to do was giving, like someone would have a baby and even before they got to the baptism, which might happen, you know, months later, going and doing the baby blessing liturgy with a new family. I love doing that. That's one of my favorite things. But you do the baby blessing and you pray for them and you're just like a tangible, like the church is here for you. Even in week one, or even I've done baby blessings in the hospital right after difficult births, like the church is here for you. Um, and we will support you as best as we can in this work that you've been called to. Um, and so that's part of our roles. We don't do all the parenting, but we try to support our parents. Um, also creating devotional resources 
City of Light did an amazing job during the pandemic when all of a sudden no one had children's ministry anymore and we were all remote for church and kids felt that a lot, that they were not connected with their church family um, in the spring, in some of the summer. Um, and they did these, like, they were always on Facebook, but they just had different leaders lead through a family devotional time. And everyone was doing them at the same time. And you felt that connection. And then sometimes they would even like get screenshots of like the Zoom calls where you could see all the different families. And like, they just really figured out how to connect families even in hard times. Or um, Emmanuel and the city, their families are spread like all over, you know, the city. So it's harder to um, connect. But they made these COVID care packages for the kids and then dropped them off to all the different families. Um, just to show, like, we're supporting you, we're still here, even though we can't see you on Sunday. Um, yeah, and the, so it depends on the needs of your church, but just to highlight the need for that is something children's pastors really need to focus on, too. So, other questions? That ends my <laughs> lecture teaching, but other questions about children's ministry or building ministry in general? So, yeah. Go ahead, Matt. What was it like for you to put all this effort and prayer into building up the children's ministry and then to hand that off to somebody? Oh, yeah. That's a good question. Um, so Matt's question was, how is it like to hand off ministry? Um, so I've done that three different times. Um, and it is hard. It should be hard because you've actually put in so much of your own prayer and care and like heart into it that if you just hand it off and feel nothing <laughs> that's that would be strange um one thing that we have tried to do really well tried to do at resurrection is bringing up a leader under the leader the main leader still and transitioning a handoff in that way um and so like with children's ministry sarah graham who's now our senior warden um she was my, like, star is like admin assistant or something way below her ability, but just that's like what we had money for. So um, she was the admin assistant, then she became the manager, then she became the director, but I was still the children's pastor. Um, and it, there was also kind of a clear, like, the vision that we had all agreed upon that had really gone into the church of children's ministry was going to stay. Like, that actually wasn't as changeable but how to develop and build and execute that vision, like, and build it. And, and Sarah, for example, was like such a great shepherd and she had a real depth to bring. Like I was much better at starting things and starting new things and developing plans for a whole bunch of areas. Um, and she was able to like dig, dig, dig deeper, deeper, deeper into certain areas and make it much richer than like what I had been able to do, but under like the same kind of guiding stuff. So. Yeah, leadership transitions are really important. Um, and then having it really clearly communicate if the vision is, how open is the vision to change? Um, and so like when Will came in, I along with other like senior pastoral team members had developed vision for youth ministry and then Will was like coming in into that vision. But we also knew we needed him to like work on that vision too and expand it, which he has done. So. 
Um, and then I think it's I think it's important to kind of stay connected in certain ways, but without ever like taking over the leadership position again. Um, and always supporting that new leader in public. And if you do have like a question about what they're doing, something bothers you about like how they're changing what you've done, to just be humble enough to like take it to them in a conversation. I've done that too. Um, and talk it through and figure out what's going on, you know. Um, but it's exciting to see how things grow too with new leaders that aren't you anymore. So yeah, I think children's ministry was maybe one of the harder ones. Youth ministry, I was like so excited to kind of like, okay, woo, because that one was more difficult. Um, and then small group ministry, Brett came in and, and partnered with me after I'd run like a pilot year of it. Um, and then it was so clear that he was going to be able to like carry it very well. You know, it was great to hand over small group ministry, but we still stayed res group leaders just because we wanted to participate in the ministry, even though we weren't leading it yeah. anymore. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.